0: Welcome everyone, I'm Lauren Hawkins. Thanks for tuning in with us to Spirituality Adventures. We are so glad you're here and we're very excited about the content we get to share with you through our blogs and podcasts. Spirituality Adventures is made possible by your support. One way you can support us is by liking, following, subscribing, or sharing any of these podcasts or blogs that you like. Another way you can support us is by going to our website, www.spiritualityadventures.com. There you can click the support tab and you can sign up for a monthly subscription or a one-time gift. We appreciate all your support. Now here's Fred.
1: Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we are so honored to have with us for a part two interview. So, if you're jumping into this interview and you didn't hear part one, this is part two. So, I just want to encourage you to back up and catch part one with. Uh, and I'm honored to have the former Prime Minister of Ethiopia with me today, Tom Laney. Tom Rott, thank you for joining us today. And we left off at a, a very pivotal point in your life. Your, your life as a young person growing up in Ethiopia, studying communist ideology, then experiencing a dictator communist, which you and your buddies decided that you wanted to overthrow, built a guerrilla army, grew to 150,000 people. And in 1991, you overthrew that communist dictator. You put into place a new government, and you were serving as the prime minister. You started studying your MBA in with London, and started moving into some different ideology, some uh, a little bit more of a free market ideology. Free all market of that, one. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and a new election was coming up, and your friend who was the president was thinking you might become the new president. All yeah. of that together created. Pick up with the story right there. So what, what happened
2: at this juncture? Yeah, you summarized it, uh, it very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I became a threat generally uh, to the system, to the government. And then he has to do something. So he started conspiring with others. And he manufactured, I can say, uh, an, uh, an issue and accused me of uh, abuse of power, he called it. And I was arrested one fine morning. <laughs> one fine morning. <laughs> <laughs> while, while I was in my office, his personal bodyguards came and took me from the office. And But before that, a year or so, maybe two years before that, our relationship, I knew and I understood that our relationship was getting sour, you know, and getting more and more far away to one another. And I even told my wife one time, after uh, after a breakfast uh, we had in, in our home and before departing to our offices and uh, my wife was working on her own and and me to my office, so I told her, "Listen, um, maybe my time with this party and with this government is coming to an end. I told her this maybe maybe a year or so ago before I was arrested okay so i I knew that it's coming to an end, or something will happen." There were symptoms here and there, things here and there that gets us into conflict and into, you know, different ideas and opposed ideas and things like that. And the communist culture generally, the communist organizational or ideological culture generally is because it's based on class struggle, the theory of class struggle, which means different classes, different opinions, are enemies. You know, that's that's how communism is. Once you are a communist, then you see everything as an enemy and a friend. There is no middle way. And if if you say somebody or some idea, even, even an idea, is different from yours, opposed from yours, then that's enemy. Mm. That's an, an enemy class within the enemy class category. Mm. So that's uh, the whole mindset that we grew up with. And uh, that's why when I came up with different ideas, they considered that as a threat. I also know because that I am also in that mindset. I also know that they will consider me as a threat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, that's why. So anyway, one fine morning when I went to my office, his bodyguards came and they just took me and put me to first for for the first two months or three or two and a half months, they put me in a in a in a kind of house arrest but in the palace. It's a it's a a jail, but it's in in a palace, within the palace compound. So there are. Places, so that's how they did, and they declared to the people that we arrested him because of abuse of power. I've is it? I've driven by
1: the palace. Yeah, it kind of sits. It's there's a highway, and it sits up the hill a little bit on a high hill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see. It, uh, I've not. I've just seen it <laughs> driving by it. And they told you this is a palace. Uh huh.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looked nice. <laughs> it is nice. Uh, and it's, it's a very old historical place. Mm. Um, but there are prisons there mm-hmm. in that corner. Okay. So they put me in one of them for about two and a half, uh, three months. And then they accused me without my presence. Um, they started telling, you know, with their media and so on. He's accused, you know, accused of power, abuse of power and things like that. And he took money and, he, you know, things like that. So after about three months there, they took me to the central jail place. Everyone knows what the central jail means. It's a prison, another prison in a, dark room Hmm. um, completely dark room by myself and so on for about a year there and uh, even chained handcuffed sometimes my hands sometimes my feet and all that and then uh, they had this uh, um, kangaroo court closed and I was not allowed to even defend myself properly and uh, they sentenced me to 18 years hand-picked judges special court they call it they called it just for my case not even in in an ordinary institution of just justice just for my case three hand-picked judges were there and that was only for the international community because the American government, the British and other governments, Westerners, they started asking, why, why is he arrested? Why is he in jail? Why is he, what, what did he made wrong? And things like that. And for them, for their consumption, he said, because of abuse of power. And this abuse of power is appealing both to the people in the, in the nation and also for the international community, for the ambassadors and so on. Abuse of power, abuse of power. So f- for that, and then this f- kangaroo court is also for the international community mainly. So they say, oh, it's uh, it's up to the court, you know. Uh, so they sentenced him eighteen years, hmm. but the whole judicial review was not there. The whole uh, proceeding was a sham. Uh, I was not allowed to, you know, defend or witness or something. So so 18 years, went to jail. The first year was very different. So that was a chapter that, as you said earlier, that's a pivotal point in my life. Mm -hmm. There started another chapter of my life. Right. (laughs) In prison. In
1: prison. Sentenced for 18 years 18 years and you and
2: you were married yes with, i was married with two children mm-hmm. two children of 4 years old and a month old when i was one month in prison yeah one month and what happened to them you're sent to prison i i was sent to the prison my wife was just out of the organization they take her out they and also from her job she became jobless
1: and we didn't mention it, but you, you two, she was a guerrilla warfare fighter yes. too.
2: You met yeah. in the army. We met in the army. Right. After four years in the mountains, she joined us. Okay. From her high school. She was a high school student. Okay. In her teenage. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the she young, joined, young
1: people fight wars, don't they? Yeah. yeah.
2: Wow. She joined us and uh, she became guerrilla fighter. So, and, and we get married after, uh, you know, in 1985. She joined us in 1970, uh, in 1980, I think. And after a while we get married there while we were in the mountain. Okay. So So. she, she became jobless. So my son who was four years old, he used to go to school. He couldn't because she didn't have anything to pay for school. So he was forced to get out. And then she finally forced, you know, she couldn't leave there. And she was even threatened, you know, government, police, or uh, intelligence people, they were following her everywhere else. And because they, they wanted her not to meet people and things like that, because they suspected that she would do something. Anyways, she had to flee. So she fled to Kenya, a neighboring country called Kenya, and she ended up to becoming a refugee in refugee camp.
1: Yeah. Which is um, usually very, very, very poor. Very difficult. Very difficult circumstances. Yeah. So she's in a refugee camp in Kenya, which is basically like, Sometimes worse than a slum i mean it's worse very, than a slum. yeah
2: worse than even jail in 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 mm-hmm. in, in, in its own way mm-hmm. uh it it was very difficult and you know a woman with two little children nothing in her hands uh nothing wow. and it it was so difficult for them mm. to be there and 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 it was a sudden thing you know Prime Minister suddenly getting into a dungeon. Right. (laughs) And she was working and employed person and so on. Suddenly get into a refugee camp. It was very hard. Wow. Very, very hard. For them, especially, it was very, very hard. Uh, She, usually she remembers that days in... um, in in a mixed feeling. On the one hand, she says, that's a blessing to, you know, that changed my life into a different course, which is good. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, you know, when she remembers that, her her eyes filled into tears. And Mm. yeah, so emotional. She becomes very emotional when she remembers that. It was a very hard time. Okay.
1: So you you they put you in solitary
2: confinement is that right in solitary confinement by myself and the first uh, few months was a complete dark room and i tried even to committing suicide by myself with a broken glass i tear down my my veins cut my veins twice I tried it I tried it twice so that I would die of bleeding I survived um so yeah but I served for 12 years in prison out of the 18 that I was sentenced and out of the 12 most of the years like about 10 years I was in solitary confinement okay And
1: when you, when you went to prison, you were an atheist. Yes. Why were you an atheist?
2: I was a communist before. And then as I, as I told you earlier, as I took that MBA course, and as I saw that things are not working on the ground, then I started losing trust on the communism thing. And that MBA that I studied, it it really changed my mind. I mean it was it was about market economy, it was about freedom, it was about liberty, things like that. And it was an economic management and it was a practical thing that helped me to change my mind. And when I was in prison, I have already abandoned my communist I you know faith, mm-hmm. so to say. But I still was an atheist. Uh, I still didn't believe in God. Uh, I had no experience before that even uh, of going to church or reading a Bible or God or things like that. And, uh, and when I was a communist, I intentionally believed that there is nothing that is any supernatural force, you know because I studied the philosophy of Marxism-Lenism, which says there is no that kind of, Mm. you know, force. So I still was an atheist, continued to be an atheist, but seeking for something. Was it Marx that that
1: famous quote
2: about the opiate of the masses? Yeah. Religion is the opium of the masses. Yeah. Yeah. That was a famous thing. Mm -hmm so but but i was looking for something i started looking and seeking for something that i had no idea what it would be but something that really gives me a relief or something that gives me sense other than the communist or thing um so in that quest for that something which i had no idea I went into reading. The only thing that I was allowed in that solitary confinement was reading books. Hmm. I I could be able to read any kind of books. Or they see it and they give it to me. So I started reading, reading of different faiths, different kinds of things. A little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Confucian thought, a little bit of Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for some reason, I don't know why, I geared myself towards generally religious things, generally, and these philosophical things. Um, and then finally, I, st- I studied Islam for two years from Quran, uh, their holy book. Uh, I got something from there. I got something from the you know for, from from mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. Continue to seek some something, which I had no idea what that thing would be. Right. <laughs> the only thing I was sure about was that Marxism Leninism is not working. Communism. I don't need that. But what what will be coming? I had no idea. Wow.
1: So you're you're searching. You're open. Searching. You, you're reading. So what happened? What happened next? Um, this was several years into solitary. Five years. Five years into solitary. For five years okay. I went through this.
2: And then um, I was, I was sick one time uh, while I was there. And then I had to be taken to a hospital. For treatment. And in that hospital, there was this nurse, a young nurse, whom I don't know, but she, she's a nurse, you know. She was appointed for me to treat me and give me injections, give me tablets and so on. She's a nurse, professional nurse. But one day, she brought me this piece of paper, a tract, we call it, a piece of paper, uh, not much on it just some things about three things written and she tucked it under my my pillow while while she she was testing my pressure blood pressure and lying down like this and she was testing it and she tucked it on my pillow under my pillow i saw that she put something there and when we're done with the testing and so on, she went out and I I am by myself in that room and I took out that paper and I started reading it. And then the first thing that says was Jesus loves you. And, um, I said, who is this Jesus in the first place to, you know, to love me and how, how is that kind of thing? So I, I just dismissed the idea of Jesus loves you, but, but also it in, intrigued me. Um, of course I heard, I, before that I heard about Jesus, you know, Jesus the person or something like that, but I didn't go into, into it in practice, especially. But then it says, um, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And, uh, that, that even more intrigued me how, what, the way, the truth, and the life? Uh, okay, but how? And then Jesus is the only one who can give you a new life. It says that. So, after that, uh, for, for, for a reason, for a curious reason that I want to know. Who is that? What, what does it mean? And so on. I started asking, asking myself. And this thing get into my mind again and again, again, and, you know, asking and probing. And then um, at some point, suddenly, I went to my knees and start saying things that I had no idea that that was a prayer. But I I did that. I, I was saying... Okay, I see that there is Jesus, the name Jesus here, who is able to give a new life somehow, which I don't understand how, and I want, however, that new life, you know, new thing that I have been looking for, that I have been searching. So if this thing is true, show me in some way. That was what I was saying Mm. again and again, repeatedly. I was saying that. Almost the whole day, I mean, continually, taking breaks and then saying the same thing, taking breaks, and it couldn't get out of my, my mind what, what was written in that paper and the idea of Jesus giving a new life. I think. And then um, in disappointment, nothing happened. Disappointment, I went to my bed and I slept. And in the middle of the night, I just woke up, suddenly woke up. And then when I woke up, there was this light in the room and uh, and within that light, there was another light, a drop of light that gets uh, widened from the wall, from one corner of the wall. And um, I get myself straight and I started looking at it and the whole thing was light. And there was this figure that looked like a person standing there, but not the details of it, only the shape mm. of, the, uh, of a figure made of light. Mm. And then there, is, there was this an audible voice uh, coming from, not from that figure only, but it, it looks like it comes from all direction of the room. It says, "I am Jesus. Believe in me and follow me. If you believe in me and follow me, I am the only one who can give you a new life that you are looking for." So that was it. And then uh, all the the light went by, and the darkness came back. It was a contrast between darkness and light in hmm. a way. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> So, but I, I was on the bed and I had no idea how I fell down. I was, I found myself on the floor and every, everything of me was uh, shaking and shivering. And I was involuntarily even, even weeping and crying. And, uh, but despite all this in the morning, I, I didn't say, okay, I didn't believe. I said, oh. And I thought that in, in something, something wrong happened in my mind. You know, like hallucination or I went being sick or something. That's, that's what I thought. And you can imagine after all those years of a communist ideology that says there is nothing out there except myself. Mm-hmm. It was very hard for me to believe. So I took it to mean. Some kind of hallucination or something that went wrong. With your mind. <laughs> in your mind. Or with your... In my mind. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> so, but the next day, I couldn't, I couldn't keep quiet. I, I continued to... Something continued in my mind to work out. You know, bringing back that I saw, bringing back that I heard. And I also said, uh, if you, if, if this thing is really, you know, the real thing, then why don't you show me again? Why don't I see it back again? Just to make sure if that is. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, the second day that also happens, the second night, same thing happened. And that voice told me two more things. It said, uh, I will get you out of this place and send you to the world and you'll testify of me. And it said also to me that don't be afraid, I'm always with you. Mm. And then that was a little bit helpful for me (laughs) because I started saying, I think this thing must be something real which I don't really understand what it is. Anyway, then I, I wrote all my experiences. In fact, it happened also the third night. The same thing happened the third night. So I wrote all that experience in a very short, tiny thing. And when that nurse came back after the third day, I put that into, into her, you know, nursing jacket. Hmm. And what I wrote was, I told her the exper- that experience, what happened to me, uh, in, in short. And I asked her to bring me something to read. So the, there is this reading and <laughs> something to read so that I would know about this Jesus mm-hmm. more. So after a few days, I think two or three days, she brought me a Bible, uh, a small pocket-sized Bible. She brought me that and uh, she gave it to me. And she told me to read from from a book, a book of John. So I started reading the Bible that way. I didn't start from the, Bible, the book of John. I start from the book of Psalms, which is wonderful. Mm. Um, and I went through that. And then uh, after that, another person brought me another Bible and started studying. And I started to praying and all that. Mm. And for my own surprise, a few days after that, I started feeling at peace for the first time after mm. after almost six years. I started feeling peace in me that I couldn't understand why Um, hope the next thing was hope I started saying I I may get out of this place someday for the first time I started saying that Hmm. because before that I was always thinking of being killed so and, and I know that from prison people were taken and be killed I know that, so I was waiting my turn to be killed. Even even though I was sentenced for imprisonment, I also was suspecting someday they come and kill me. But then I started saying there is a hope. Someday I may get out of this place, and I also started uh, relating with uh, police guards. There were. Pointed police guards, nine of them for me only uh, in three shifts, you know. I started relating with them and telling them about what happened. And they also began to see that something is changing in me, in my, even in my daily habits and, you know, things to do kind of thing. Mm. I used to even be, weird and uh, bad for them in terms of relationship with them I was now changing so they start observing that and they start asking me Tamrad, what's happening in you you, you are becoming good these days <laughs> mm-hmm. more loving <laughs> more loving and uh-huh. saying how are you good morning and so on uh, mm. so anyway so that kind of thing happened in me and I went on studying the Bible. And and what happened also after this is the more I studied and and I seven years, seven more years I stayed there after I have this event. So the more I studied and the more I prayed and the more I I started looking back my whole life and turn every chapter and turn every idea that I had and and look into my mistakes uh, that I did, um, everything back. And the more I see that, the more I was changing, change, shift of mind, shift of, uh, you know, attitudes ideas and things like that mm. it was like washing <laughs> mm. uh, and in that sense it was good that i stayed for seven more years mm. in that sense and and i love it by the way love it in the sense that it become a reason for for a change mm. in my
1: life wow so while you were and you were in for 12 years. What, what happened to Mulu while she was in Kenya?
2: Mulu and our two Mulu. children went to Kenya. They ended up in refugee camp, as I said earlier. And uh, they stayed there for three years. And she was also a communist, by the way, an atheist communist. Oh. And, um, and one time, one of the police guards, who was intrigued by my change... And then became, of course, changed by for himself. He became a believer. He was a communist. And he became a you know, believer. He started believing in God. And then one time, he brought me a, a, a cell phone and a number. And he gave it to me. And he said, this is between you and me, okay? And here is a cell phone. And here is a number for Mulu, he said. And he knows her. And I got this number of Mulu while she was in Kenya, Kenya number, from your sister, he told me, from my sister. Hmm. So he said, I give you 30 minutes, call her just to say hello. And he knows before that that I had no communication, no even a visit. Mulu was not allowed to visit me while I was in prison before she went to Kenya. Mm-hmm. So that's why, out of compassion, he gave it to me and I called her. And I called her and I started telling her what happened in me. You know, now I believe in Jesus and things like that. And she heard me and she said, when did that happen? And I told her the nights. And she said, exactly on those days, I also had this vision. And now I am following Jesus too so after that after three years in refugee camp she and our children through a a u.s embassy in kenya and through united nations they came to america as immigrants and uh, they came to colorado and um, i knew that they came to colorado from my sister Because after she came to the U.S., my sister called. They were communicating. So that's what happened Mm. to Mulu. Wow. But the other thing that happened very radically changed really my thoughts and my mind is that when I came out of prison, uh, the next day or two, no, after three days, I think, I called to the chief of the intelligence who was the right hand person of the president, my former friend who put me to jail, I called to him and I said to him, uh, and we know each other when we were in the, in the mountains with that chief of intelligence person. So I told him, I want to see the president, my former friend. Right. And I want to see him just to, just to say hello. And, uh, of course, he couldn't believe that at first. And I, and he asked me, Are you serious about that? Yes, I am. He couldn't believe because after 12 years and uh, he's, he knows that he's the one who put me to jail and all that. And he might have suspected even to that I wanted to take revenge. Right. Yeah. Maybe to kill him or to try to kill him. <laughs> But I told him just to say hello and so on. So he said, um, I will call him and tell you if he agrees. And he called me the next day or two. And then he, he told me he agreed to meet you, the president. And it was another surprise for me. Because, mm. you know, agreed to meet me after all those things. It was remote. So I went to his office. I met him. Long story short, I met him. And I told him that I forgive him and i did while i was in prison i forgave him but before that i was mad and i was you know every time i was thinking of taking revenge upon him i was even thinking of how to kill him though i was not certain that i would come out of that prison <laughs> so to that extent i was really in hatred in a, in a Big hatred and i wanted to take revenge but then after i met jesus and after my after i was changed at some point i said i forgive him while i Hmm. was in prison so that's why i called and i wanted to tell him so i told him that it was it was surprising for him but he he really believed it because Hmm. he saw that i was changed through our conversation. We had about two hours conversation, an hour and a half or two in his office. And I told him what happened, all the things and that I'm changing and so on. So he somehow understood that I'm really changing. So that is another thing, another big thing Mm. that happened in my life. Yeah. Forgiving that, right friend of mine that's that's amazing in 2012 he died of you know he was sick and he died uh in the hospital in europe um and i felt sad
1: beautiful wow man yeah. forgiveness it 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 sets us free when we do that right yes it sets us
2: free mm-hmm forgiveness is a good thing but it's it's not easy not and easy. it was not easy for me too, by the way like it took me a year and a half maybe that I struggled with myself to forgive yeah yeah I understand sometimes I mean, in, with a, tears. in a much
1: smaller way i I can understand yeah. yeah well um man what an amazing story so so you end up how did you get out early? You you served twelve years of your eighteen years. How did how did you get out early? Um because well, when you had that talk with the president, so you went into prison in ninety five or six. Ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. October ninety six. What year was it when you met with the president and forgave let him
2: told him you forgave? Two thousand December two thousand eight. Oh, that was in two thousand eight. Yeah. Ah. December two thousand eight. So twelve years. I served twelve years. I came here and okay. joined my family in two thousand nine, uh, January. And uh, yeah, I I was there after I was released. I stayed for one so month. When you
1: saw the president, you were. That's when you got out. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All yeah. right. That's the first thing you did, basically. The first thing I did. Okay.
2: Yeah. So after I met him, I came here uh, through the U.S. Embassy again and uh, and joined my family. In Denver. Joined my wife and our two children in Denver. And she waited for me for wow. 12 years. I'm an amazing woman. Mm. Um, and our children, they were 12 years and 16. 12 and 16 when I wow. got back. And we had to work out again, you know. Who is this? They didn't know their dad. <laughs> yeah. They had to know. Mm-hmm. They had to know. Of course, they know through pictures and, how, you know, their mom tells them and so on. And and uh, our son knows. He was four when I was arrested and he knows everything. He remembers and um, but we had to come back again to become friends and mm. so on and wow. it and it took some time I bet. it was not
1: easy all of a sudden you have an american teenager
2: <laughs> yeah by <laughs> then they yes. have already become americans uh in to some degree anyway yeah i mean yeah culturally <laughs> yeah
1: wow what an amazing story wow so, since since you've been rejoined with your family in Denver, and and I didn't real I don't know that I realized it when I met you in 2010. I I don't maybe I did, but I I don't know that I realized you'd only been out of prison for two years. Maybe I did. I I don't for some reason I yeah I thought anyway, but that was. That was your first national prayer breakfast that we met that at That was the my
2: first national prayer mm. breakfast, 2010, my first one. And I was only a year out of prison. Out of prison. Wow. Amazing. 2009, 2008, December, almost 2009. Mm. And uh, yeah, a friend of mine, an Ethiopian friend of mine took me to, he's the one who introduced me to people at the prayer breakfast and they invited me to be there, okay that's how we met very awesome yeah
1: so since since being in america what what has been occupying your time your family's time other than being a husband and a father
2: <laughs> what have what have you been doing uh, meeting with people, doing small groups of um, life. Um, I call it small groups of life sharing, um, going around to different places and speaking and sharing my life uh, in churches, in conferences, in prayer breakfasts, with seminars and so on. The first three years until I get my green card, I was, you know, here in the U S only traveling to different States and meet friends, new friends and go to different places and speak and share my life. Uh, most of the times together with my wife and share our lives and so on. And, uh, people are blessed by that, you know, uh, about, f- and, and, and we were talking about forgiveness, we're talking about changes. In life, transformation, we're talking about getting into challenge, but coming back. Um, and then we started traveling out, out of the U.S., going back to Africa, going to the Middle East, going to Asia, and, and also Europe to some extent, but mostly to Africa, Middle East, and Asia, and do the same thing speaking in conferences, seminars, and then start small groups, mm-hmm. uh, life sharing small groups mm. and, and training, giving training, leadership training for young leaders, especially. Okay. Meeting young leaders, young people, and share life with them mm. and, and give training and speaking. This is what this has been what we have been doing awesome, <laughs> and also we have a ministry by the way, an organization that we support my wife and my wife basically started that it's it's her child, I can say of helping orphans and widows in Ethiopia. It's called Life Center, and we have about two hundred children that we are supporting right now, and we have hundred or so widows women poor widows Mm. that we are helping through sponsorship mainly from america and so on
1: so you have two orphanages in ethiopia one in addis which i visited yeah, uh, when I was the last time I was in Ethiopia was in two thousand eighteen. Two thousand eighteen, and I visited the orphanage in Ethiopia. Mulu was there. Yeah, and then there's you have another one that's north of Addis where Mulu is from. Yeah, and how how would people find out about that? Like if they wanted to learn, is there a website or your Facebook or
2: Instagram? Yeah we are we are in Facebook we are we have a website called lifecenterethiopia.org lifecenterethiopia.org that's okay. that's a website and uh, we are also uh, on um, facebook and uh, uh, instagram same Life same Center. name same thing yeah same Life name s- lifecenterethiopia Ethiopia. Life Center, Ethiopia. Uh,
1: yeah At, on facebook and yeah, Instagram.
2: Instagram. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Very good. So the organization what, started here in America. We have a 501c3, and uh, also in Ethiopia we're licensed. So. Yeah, and
1: and are the are Ethiopians in America? Have you had connections with with different pastors in, in, in yeah. the Ethiopian community in America?
2: Yeah, we have different connections with churches and with individuals, Ethiopians, mm-hmm. uh, in different states. And, uh, in the states we live in, we also go to sometimes go to Ethiopian churches, but our uh, church mainly is American church. But we have different kinds of communications and connections with Ethiopians. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and different opinions about me among the Ethiopians. Right. <laughs> yeah, because of political reasons. Some don't agree with me. Um but I also believe that most of the Ethiopians they understand and they they like me and I love all of them. What whichever way it is, I, I like them.
1: Um yeah. Well, I know I fell in love with Ethiopia and I love (laughs) Ethiopians. And so any, any time I get a chance to meet somebody from Ethiopia and I, I, I bump into Ethiopians here in Kansas city quite often. And I can usually, I'm pretty good at, at uh, like guessing that they might be ethiopian and most yeah. of the time it turns out they are and then they're always amazed that i've been to ethiopia and then yeah, and it's always been a fun yes conversation
2: you did a lot of things in ethiopia i mean through uh vineyard i know that mm-hmm. and i also met some ethiopians in ethiopia when i was in ethiopia the last the last three years so wooden who oversees the vineyard in ethiopia
1: um i posted just the last couple of days that you were here i posted our picture yeah and he sent me i forgot to tell you but he sent me a message saying that he met you in taiwan at some conference in taiwan
0: oh my
1: okay and so uh it must be in uh, thailand oh thailand maybe okay yeah okay yeah uh yeah yeah so oh, anyway, um, that's nice. But he knew he knew that I knew you, and even when I, anyway. So, but he, I, I was always mm. wanting you guys to meet. But he just told me that you, that he remembers meeting you, and at some kind of deal in Thailand. I okay,
0: guess. he
2: was there. You know, yeah. You showed me his uh, his uh, picture, picture yesterday, right. and. The face looks familiar, but I had no idea where I saw him, where I met him. Uh, that must be Thailand, because one time there was a conference there, a big com- an international conference organized by another ministry, not by myself. But I went there to speak and to meet people. And a group of Ethiopians were there, oh. many of them. And he must be with them. And they came to meet me and they met me we had a chat and they took pictures with me okay. and, and so on and so forth that so must be it that must be yeah it. <laughs> well he remembered so anyway. <laughs> oh, okay so please send send
1: my greetings to him i will when, when you uh, i will well he's been following me so um, yeah. hopefully he'll be able to hear this podcast so no yeah well i am i hope to get to ethiopia with you and mulu again sometime soon yes we're praying for this new election coming up in june
2: of 2021 praying for peace obviously pray for ethiopia too say please pray pray for ethiopia pray for peace unity Mm -hmm. for that nation we are in a in a difficult time so we need prayer yes yeah well,
1: thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story. I, I'm, I always am amazed to hear this story. And it, it is one of the most fascinating stories I've heard. It's one, of the, it's one of my favorites of all the people that I've met from around the world. And so I am so honored to have you as our guest on Spirituality Adventures. Thank you once again. Thank you
2: very much. Um, I'm very, very pleased to be here with you most importantly as a friend. And uh, I'm also pleased to see that you are running this uh, spiritual spirituality adventure, which is very important, I believe. And uh, I met some of uh, your friends uh, here in Kansas yesterday. We were together and I really loved them. Um, And I believe that you will reach out through this program to many, many young people. Thank you for doing that. Well,
1: thank you for coming. And thanks, everybody, for joining us at Spirituality Adventures. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to visit our support page at www.spiritualityadventures.com. If you like what you heard, be sure to share it and leave a comment. Thanks again. Have a great day. Happy Media production.